0: That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano, and today I'm really pleased to welcome Amber Harper to the show. Amber is a kindergarten teacher, podcaster, and teacher burnout coach, and she's here to talk to us about our book hacking teacher burnout which is available from Times 10 publications. Amber, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Awesome. So Amber, um one of the things that I think is really relevant to mention, I don't usually uh go into the, you know, personal parts of of our authors bios, but I think in this case, you know, when we're talking about burnout and the stresses of the profession and understanding how each person within their career and their family life is a little different, it, it is relevant to understand where we're coming from so uh, you know you're a wife and a mom and and I think you know, as each of us are listening, um, you know, that just helps us to understand, okay, how do I contextualize all these ideas and put them into place in my career, right, and see how everything fits together. Um, and I also know that this topic of burnout, as probably is evident in your bio, is personal to you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your burnout story to sort of give our listeners an introduction to, you know, all of the work you're doing here and, and what drew you to it?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I will give you a shortened version because I know we only have a short time, yeah. and I don't because it, it's it's long and it's messy, which I think a lot of people understand. Um, so I started teaching back in 2007, and basically from my very first job uh, teaching first grade, I actually started burning out my very first year uh, because of a toxic work culture that I had in my grade level. And I worked in that grade level for two years and then was moved to second grade, which was my first reality check. And the first time I learned how different your experience can be in teaching by having a wonderful, supportive, friendly Mm -hmm. team that you're working with. Um, And it was in that moment that I really realized how much you needed a team to lean on in order to be a successful teacher. And from then on, again, we only have, you know, so much time. So I'm just going to let you know, I rode the roller coaster of burnout for eight years at that school that I taught in. And um, I did what everybody did. I I Googled it. I Googled, how do I beat teacher burnout, signs and symptoms. And I would be taken to Pinterest, of course, with a list of all of these checklist items of things that I should do. And then I was supposed to be out of burnout. And I, I was doing all of those things, and I was still really miserable and going home and crying to my husband, who also worked in the same school as me, by the way. And um, finally, it kind of all came to a head. Um, and and let me be be clear, too. The reason that I was burning out um, in that school really had nothing to do with the kids. So I wasn't what I would consider... I, I wasn't being burned out by their behavior. It wasn't anything like that. It was really um, a toxic work culture in the school mm-hmm. um, that really affected my ability to grow and to feel like I was working at my best and being my yeah. best self in that in that work environment. Um, I wasn't uh, burned out from too much to do and not enough time to do it. I wasn't working all the time. It wasn't anything like that. It was really just a work culture thing, which we will definitely get into during yeah. this conversation, right? Um, but this finally did come to a head in, uh, fall of 2014, we had just gotten a brand new puppy. Um, I always tell this story because I think that it really humanizes burnout because we see all the, all of the statistics about the teachers that are leaving teacher attrition, you know, that kind of thing. And obviously burnout is not just an education problem. It is a global pandemic in itself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, But I kept all of these feelings really inside, um, except when I would, you know, drink wine and vent with my other teacher friends. And of course, you know, venting is healthy to a certain point, but in, I want to say September or October of 2014, I went to let our brand new puppy that we had gotten over the summer, we lived about three minutes away from the school. So I would just go home and let him out of his, um, kennel, Um, every afternoon, it was just a quick 15, 20 minute ordeal. I'd be back to get my kids from recess. So this particular day I got home and he had crapped in his kennel. Mm -hmm. It was all over him. And I had to do my best to get him cleaned up, get myself cleaned up and get back to school to teach for another two hours. And I mean, in the scheme of things, yes, it sucks. Right. I was hysterical. I was inconsolable. I couldn't stop crying. And as I mentioned, um, or as I may have mentioned, my husband worked in the same school that we had worked in for many years together. And so all of my teacher friends knew him. And I was in such a state when I walked back into the school that they thought he had died. So you can imagine their underwhelm when I tell them that Oliver just pooped in his kennel, (laughs) right? Like it was, it was a huge embarrassment, like looking back at it, it's very embarrassing, but I'm also really grateful for it because that to me, that was my rock bottom. Um, that was when I really realized that something needed to change. And something inside of me flipped and said, You are the only one who is going to change anything about your reality right now. Like nobody else is going to come in here and save you. Like you are in a state that no one else can possibly help you. You have to help yourself. I did end up leaving that school um, in December of um, 2014. And I left to become an educational nonprofit, um, executive director in our community. So I got to work in education. I still got to see the kids, you know, but I just wasn't in that, in that school. Um, I was there long enough to close it and I swear it wasn't Mm -hmm. my fault. (laughs) They should not have hired me. They should have closed it. Anyway, I ended up in a different district and, um, started burning out again because I had a lack of connection. I had a lack of purpose. I only went back because I thought that is I'm just a teacher. What else could I possibly do? I tried this and it failed. And so here I am. So I had a a full spectrum of uh, reasons for my burnout from the years of, you know, 2015 through 2017 ish. And again, it was through that burnout that I really created burned in teacher. I believe in October of 2014 is when burned in teacher was truly born, but I didn't really realize what the power that I, that I had inside of me to help to change other teachers' lives as well as my own until 2016, when I created Burn In Teacher, in order to tell my story and to help to empower other teachers. So basically my, my burnout really looked and sounded like a lot of crying, a lot of complaining, um, a lot of, talking about, you know, doing something different, but never doing something different. A lot of feeling like, well, this is just the way it is. And it wasn't until I dove into uh, personal development in uh, between the years of 2014, 2016, 2017, that I really realized the power that really was within me to create change in my circle of control. And so that's really when everything changed. And I really can't talk about the book without kind of talking about the story because it really, the burned in process that I talk about within hacking teacher burnout really is everything that I've done. And I continue to do today as a Mm full-time teacher, still a mom, still a wife, you know, all of these things, tons to do. I can't talk about all of these steps without really talking about how real and how raw my experience with burnout was. I just got so sick of it. I just got so sick of being miserable. And I just decided I wasn't going to settle for it anymore. So I made some huge changes in my life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then the the burnout, the term can become cliched and, you know, get, get overused to the point where I think it's one thing that's really helpful about the book is you have this listing of types and stages of burnout to help readers kind of reflect and say, okay, where am I? Um, you know, what are, what are the causes or what's the underlying reasons for my burnout and kind of how far along am I? You know, we, we can not have to go through all of that, but can you just kind of summarize that a little bit and just talk about why it was important for you to really define that in more detail?
1: Yeah. So I really wanted to personalize or rather create a system that people could personalize to their specific burnout type and where they wanted to end up. So you kind of mentioned the burnout types. I won't go through each of them, but there are four. And because what I've realized through my research and my own experience is that people can say they're burned out, but that doesn't mean their experience and what brought them, what triggered it in the first place how long they've been dealing with it, and why it continues to, um, to get worse and worse and worse over time, that experience is all very different. And a lot of people are in very different seasons of their life. You know, Not everybody's a mom. Not everybody's been teaching for 12, 15 years. Um, not everybody has the same goals. Not everybody has the same personality. And not everybody starts at the same place either. So I created these types to help people to kind of name their burnout um, because I really truly believe that if you can name it, you can tame it. And burnout is so generalized, like you said, and a little cliche and sometimes right. overused. So I wanted to give people a starting point to say, oh, yes, I am burned and blank. I am burned and unbalanced. I have too much to do, not enough time to do it. I am burned and over it. I cannot, this relationship with my principal is so toxic or with my students, is it? it I, I just, I'm over it. I don't know what to do. And then the stages is really on a zero to five scale. So zero is obviously where I was in 2014, like totally burned the F out. Like I wanted to quit. I didn't want to look for solutions. I was done. I was just looking for any job that I could find to get out versus burned in, which is stage five. So my goal with all of this is to give people a starting point by naming their burnout type and then to identify where they are on this spectrum to help to give them a path. I call it the burned in teacher success path. So, um, And the purpose of that is because just because you tackle and, quote, unquote, beat burnout once does not mean you will never experience it again. Right. So the stages really help people to kind of gauge how they're feeling, why they're feeling the way that they're feeling, and helps to give them then the steps within the book to get them back up on that spectrum if they fall back.
0: Right. And uh, and burnout, you know, uh, of course, it also um, manifests in other Professions and also in different roles in education other than just teachers, but I think there is there are unique qualities to teacher burnout uh, as. Contrasted with burnout that we feel in other areas, and for our you know readers who are familiar with the Hack Learning series of books, this is one of them. You know, there's a series of hacks, so this one has eight. uh, It's eight steps to go from isolated to empowered, Um, and so I'm going to actually skip ahead to the eighth one, and then we'll (laughs) we're going to come back. Um, But I think this really ties into what we're talking about. Um, So Hack Eight is never settle for a burned out career in life, and one of the things to me that I that, that I've observed um, and thought a lot about recently that is, you know, <laughs> un- uniquely enforcing I think burnout on a lot of teachers um, is the you know the feeling about of course the reason why you're getting into this profession is it's a service profession you're there to serve students and do it for them but then a lot of times the uh, autonomy of um, the educator to feel like they're allowed to make decisions for their own personal well-being um, is kind of, you know, question, right? And uh, and one of the things I've, I've written a little bit about recently is this, um, you know, I basically wrote a piece that was like, if you want to keep more teachers in the profession, um, stop calling them heroes and like start treating oh them like gosh. professionals, right? And yes. this idea, like to me, it's like this forced martyrdom and then i was describing this idea recently to uh to author mike anderson who's been on the podcast although i think this discussion was off the podcast and he put it in in good terms well it's that's true and to be a martyr you have to die right and the the point here is so if if we're kind of you know That It's not a fair trade-off to say, well, you know, you get to be called this nice word. So that means that you don't have to be um, supported, treated professionally, allowed to make decisions. So um, I just kind of saw that. I don't know if that resonates with you as far as, okay, when we think about what makes teacher burnout different and what are some of the you know, systemic things that make it so endemic, <laughs> it's like every teacher is going to grapple with this at some point in time. Yeah. Um, it's that idea that we need to, sh- you know, shift the expectation back to teachers and say, you're allowed to make decisions that are best for you and think about your own well-being. It th- That doesn't, you know, negate the fact that you're service-oriented, I, you know, so, I mean, where, you know, how does that kind of land with you?
1: yeah. So I think one thing that we could talk about, you know, first of all, what makes teacher burnout different is when I ask teachers and I ask this question a lot, just to make sure that I'm staying on track. And of course, using my own experience as well Mm -hmm. as a full-time kindergarten teacher um, to really pay attention to what is currently challenging teachers, um, things that they say would make them eventually leave the profession or why it is that they chose not to stay a huge one right now is student behavior um right. and and i can speak i can speak very real and raw about this that it is it is a huge reason that teachers are leaving um because the fact is i mean if you look at other professions no you don't get to choose who works under you if you are in a management position i mean and let's be real like in a lot of situations teachers become like middle management right, right. like you are being managed by your administrator. You're having to manage these students. (laughs) Um, But in other professions, you are working with adults. And Mm -hmm. if the adults don't do what they're supposed to do, what happens? They get fired, right? Or they choose to leave, whatever. With students, you can't do that. So you're not able to choose who's working under you AKA who's brought into your class. Right. And that can always change. You get new kids, you get, you know, you get the behaviors that you get, right. Like that. I'm going to keep this short because we could just talk an entire podcast episode about student behavior. Right. The other things, um, obviously uh, lack of support, you know, we've kind of, we chatted about this really quickly before we hit record that, um, teachers don't feel supported. They don't Mm -hmm. feel supported by their administrator. They don't feel supported by their team. They don't feel supported by their government. They don't feel supported by parents. They don't feel supported by people outside of education, you know, um, people that are throwing around judgments or, you know, making assumptions about what we are or are not teaching in schools. Pressure from administration to always do more with less um, or to do more with less time, with less resources, that that is that is extremely hard. Um, the never-ending to-do list. There always seems to be things added to what okay. it is that teachers are supposed to be responsible for. Constant changes, you know, and and constant changes within your school year, like things that you're expected to do or to stop doing, or to the curriculum curriculum you're using or what part of the curriculum you're using, but what part you're not and what you're supplementing. Versus the fact, or or also adding on to the fact that you're constantly changing, where you're always having to start over. Mm-hmm. Like every year, you're starting over from ground zero, and you're expected to do X, Y, and Z with with the students. And add on to that, you know, the fact that we have our own personal life that we are trying to juggle in the midst of all of this, and personal lives are not always peachy, you know. So,
0: right.
1: um, it's just a culmination. The fact that most teachers will self-proclaim themselves as people-pleasing, type A, control freak people, yeah. like. You know, the, the type A control freak people pleasers, um, that is a recipe for burnout in itself. So if you, you know, and having high expectations for yourself, and I am one of those people, um, is not a bad thing being driven, right. Is not a bad thing. Wanting to do the best you can is not a bad thing, but with all of these different aspects of challenges that are being thrown at us every single day, as well as also telling ourselves that we have to be the best or do the best and make sure everything looks perfect, it's just, it's the perfect storm.
0: Yeah. And, and, and realistically, you know, the, the, um, I guess amount of time it takes to experience burnout is all relative, right? Cause I mm-hmm. mean, I think about new teachers and, um, and the word that stands out, you know, you write in the subtitle going from isolated to empowered that isolation of feeling like, um, you know, things like behavior, classroom management, these huge challenges that yeah. you can immediately go into a job and have all these goals of what you want to achieve, and all these reasons why you're motivated to go into this profession, and then very quickly say, I have no competence, and I have no hope of achieving competence, and I don't feel like anybody understands what I'm going through, and, I, you know, and nobody's making an intentional effort to either provide mentorship or support or, you know, to anticipate these things that everybody struggles with. And now I'm feeling burnout pretty quickly.
1: And also add to that, that you may not feel like you can or should ask for help, because right. if you do that, then you look like you don't know what you're doing. And for a perfectionist, you know, for someone who, who um, holds themselves to a high standard, they sometimes, you know, sometimes their ego gets in the way and they don't want to look like they don't know how to handle things. Yeah. And and that, again, that adds to that perfect storm.
0: Yeah. And so um, let's actually, we're going to circle back a little bit and we'll go through the first few hacks in the book. We obviously won't go through all of them, but this will give the, the readers a little something that they can read up on later. Um, but I did want to kind of go through, you know, um, especially hack number one, which is begin where you are, right? And this relates back to those types and stages you know, this is so much about understanding that we all are coming to this, that we're at a different point, we're having different causes, um, we all experience this at some time, but it is so critical to understand and reflect on, okay, my experience is my experience. And then if I can take ownership of that, then I can think about what I need to do. Um, You know, can you talk about that a little bit?
1: You just nailed it. Like, (laughs) and I think that what was so frustrating for me, whenever I was Googling, you know, signs and symptoms of burnout, how do I beat burnout, you know, back in, you know, 2013, 2011 um, is that everything was all about moving forward and changes you need to needed to make. But where I believe my biggest changes came in my life was when I stopped and I reflected on what brought me to where I was in the first place. And I think that's, that's where the, the burnout types and the stages are really powerful. It, it, it empowers me right there. It, it gives me the power to say, okay, I need to stop here. I need to back up. How long have I felt this way? What triggered this? Was it a personal change? Did I have a baby and things have just been spinning out of control ever since? Was there a change in administration? Have I been teaching the same grade level for 25 years? When did all of these feelings start to happen? Also, how long have I physically been in this classroom? How long have I physically been in this building? How long have I physically been in this district? All of that's really powerful stuff. In fact, I just had somebody email me the other day and she said that point in hack one, when you asked for us to figure out our triggers and to write down how long we've been in a place, I realized that I had been in the same place for 17 years and I would, I didn't want to leave education. I love education, but I was just ready for a change. Here's, here's one big thing that I talk about in hack one. Um, and Maybe I don't go into it deeply in the book, but it is, I do talk about clarity. When you lack clarity, you can't see through the fog. So you begin to be like a fly that's just pounding itself up against a window, trying to, you know, saying, if I just keep flying harder, I'll just get through. I'll just get through. When obviously flies can't do what humans can do, which is stop and back up and look for another way out. And I'm not saying out of education for some people, that is the best next best step for them. But for other people, it's just backing up and saying like, whoa, I have just been trying to break this glass. It's never going to happen. I need to think about another path to feel different. In hack one, I really talk about um, those triggers, realizing how long you've been where you are physically, emotionally, mentally. And then we talk about realizing your core values, like beginning to you know, raise your awareness on what is most important to you in your life and what words you need to come back to when you are asked to do something Mm -hmm. Um, so that you're not just immediately saying yes. You're really imagining, you know, how does this fit within what I feel is most important right now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I've been doing a lot of work related to teacher retention lately. And, um, you know, it comes up time and again that it's, School leadership, the overall stress of the profession are kind of the main reasons why teachers choose to leave. And I love that this book is really focused on re-empowering those individual educators to say, we're not shifting the burden to you to say that these other things aren't legitimate factors, but we're also saying, how can you be empowered to understand your agency and what you might do and um, what factors are in your control, right, so that you don't have to feel forced to make a decision that is not the decision you want to make—that yes. you can, yeah, right.
1: Yeah. So two things here that 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 you're talking about. Number one, I do not believe that your burnout is your fault, but I do believe it is your responsibility. And for so many of the years that I struggled with burnout, in and out of burnout, over and over and over again, I consistently blamed other people, whether it be mm-hmm. my administrator, the people I was working with, you know, these parents, whatever it was. I was blaming them, which gave me no responsibility. I was the victim. And anytime you step into the victim's role, you are powerless. At least you tell yourself that you're powerless to change anything. And the second thing that, that you really brought up here is that when you are experiencing burnout in any profession, there are only two things that have to change. I'm sorry. One of two things, if not, maybe both. And right. the first thing you have to change is you, because the fact is you could have cultivated beliefs, thoughts, actions, habits that are contributing to your own burnout. And I can say that with confidence, that's what I did. Right. The other thing that could possibly change is your environment. You can choose to pick up, you know, a lot of people, um, can some people, it's not as easy as saying I'm done with teaching. I quit you know, it is really a, a luxury to be able to have that power of choice. And that's what I did in 2014. I changed my environment, but I really didn't change a whole lot about me. And I still sat in that victim seat for a couple of more years before I really, um, in spring of 2016, April, 2016, when I was like, I'm done, I'm leaving this, I'm leaving this old version of Amber behind and I'm going to work on me. Yeah. And then I will decide if I need to change my environment.
0: Yeah, and and reading this, I couldn't help but think of uh, something that um, you know, author and speaker Baruti Kafele says, which is, uh, how can you be burned out if you were never on fire in the first place? <laughs> it's kind of like really issuing that challenge to teachers to say, look, you know, where are you right now? Did you just kind of like put your full self into it and you just went to the point of burnout, in which case let's talk about recapturing that fire? Or are there other reasons why you're disengaged, why you've developed, right, negative mental attitudes or other habits? Um, But I, I love, you know, this leads into that hack too, which is understand your teacher brand. And I think this relates to it so much because one of the things that, you know, I've, Um, talked a lot about with schools is schools needing to establish and then communicate their brand. Communicate what are all the good things you're doing? What do you stand for? What's your mission, vision, and values? How do you live that every day? If you don't do those things, how can the community understand and support you, right? Same thing for these individual teachers. We want our administrators to support us as individuals to give us the support to execute the job in the way that we are best at, right? What's our unique skill set? Well, you have to understand, establish, and then communicate what your teacher brand is to say, well, this is what I stand for, this is who I am. And then that allows those other people around you to support you in that way. Um, But, you know, maybe not something that every teacher has thought about how they can execute that.
1: Yeah. And really, in order to think about your teacher brand, you really have to become self-aware. And that's really what this hack is all about, is raising your self-awareness. And this chapter is my favorite chapter because it was what was the most transformative to me. Mm -hmm. I knew who I wanted to be, but my actions and my words were not reflecting who I wanted to be known as. And for anybody that doesn't understand what a brand is, it's not a judgment. It's not based on like a one-off encounter. Okay. It is predictions, people like students, administration, coworkers, it's predictions people can make about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, how you're going to behave based on repeated patterns of interactions with you. And this is something like I look back years ago, you know, 2000, even 2007, when I was really struggling with, with that team I was working on or working with, there are some things that I did and said that I know attributed to the negative encounters that I had with my teammates. I came in like raring to go thinking I knew everything. You know, I thought I knew everything and I probably came across as a know-it-all I didn't Mm -hmm. mean to do it. I could, my delivery could have been better. So teacher brand is so incredibly important uh, because we, we typically associate brands with like things that are being sold. Right. Um, Right. Like McDonald's, like McDonald's versus Burger King, Nike versus Adidas. Right. But as a teacher brand, I mean, think back to your favorite teachers. Mm -hmm. You could, you could name them like that. Think back to your worst teachers you know, the ones that you had the worst relationships with, those are their brands. That is their legacy. Right. And you leave that with everybody that you have an interaction with at your school.
0: Right. Yeah. And then the one thing I I think I feel like yesterday, I uh, was having yeah. this discussion and saying, you know, your brand uh, is, is not what you say it is. It's what other people say it is. So if exactly. you don't tell them what yeah. it is, then they're just going to come up with whatever. Right. So yeah. in this case, Um, you know, with respect to your students, your colleagues, your administrators, if you are not intentionally mindful about saying like, here's how, here's how I roll. Here's what I do. Here's what I stand for. Um, then they'll fill in the blanks on their own and they'll come up with their own perceptions of you. And if that doesn't align with what you think, you'll be pretty frustrated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right.
0: Awesome. So the last uh, one I want to touch on here is hack number three, uh, which is reflect and take action on your challenges. And, you know, one of the things about that is, of course, and you can sort of elaborate on it, but I think one of the points that is kind of a through line here is that there are certain things that the broader oftentimes pessimistic and negative, you know, narrative around um, our education system as a whole or the teaching profession would indicate are like uncontrollable. It's just mm-hmm. the way it is. And we can't do anything about it. And everybody just has to deal with it. You know, I think you're making the case that there are a lot of these things that you know are much more within our control than we might think. Um, you know, or that at least we can perhaps define and understand our own sphere of influence. You know, these are the things I can do something about if I understand them, if I take time to get it. And the other things I can't change, let me not worry about changing them, but let me do this Um, because, again, like if we're all want to take autonomy over our own individual careers and, and what we stand for and what we want to do, we want to be in control of that. I don't want somebody else to decide. Well, I just so happen to be placed in this school with these other people that I don't really get along with. So that means I just can no longer do the job that I always wanted to do. Um, you know, which doesn't mean that sometimes the right thing is not to say this is just toxic um, and it's time to move on. But what are, what are some of the things that you you believe or you often hear that the the narrative would say? a teacher can't control that, you know, maybe you think it's a little more within their control than they may realize.
1: Mm. The first thing that comes to my mind is your time, mm. the way that you manage your time. Um And I know right now there are teachers that are listening to this that are like, oh, please, Amber, like, mm. <laughs> All right. Like I get this though, but this is the thing that I get um, quite a bit is that there's so much to do, not enough time to do it. And, and I completely agree. There is way too much time to do and not enough time to do it. So what I have to do in that moment is I have to build a time boundary and right. I have to say I, within my contract hours and my contract hours are seven 30 to three 30. And I have to decide, I have to make a conscious decision to say, I'm coming in at seven and I will work as late as four o'clock mm-hmm. on teaching and anything that I don't get done may or may not get done tomorrow. And that does not mean that I am not a good teacher. That doesn't mean that I am not teaching my kids the things that they need to learn. It doesn't mean my room is a mess. It doesn't mean anything. And I think sometimes when you, whenever you hear people say that they have built these time boundaries, that they just aren't doing a very good job. But what that means for me when I say I will work from seven to four at the latest on school stuff, after of course the first couple of weeks, because you know there's balance there, right? Is that forces me to focus on the highest priority tasks. Right. So I'm not messing around with a bulletin board ever. You know, I'm I'm never going to do that. We will put one up at the beginning of the year. We might change it halfway through the year, maybe. Right. (laughs) All right. What I am focusing on is my role in education. And we kind of, we kind of cover that in your teacher brand, uh, whenever we're writing your mission statement, right? Like we're thinking about what is my role? Like what is in my job description? So I am focusing on my lessons. I'm focusing on, you know, how I'm planning and prepping those. I'm working on making sure I know exactly what I'm going to be doing for the next few days ahead of schedule. I'm making sure that my stuff is organized for my kids, for small reading groups, that kind of thing. Like I am not checking email every other minute. I don't have it on my phone. I check it twice a day. Um, I communicate with my parents via seesaw. I only check it twice a day. And if they message me after I've checked it the second time, I'll see it in the morning when I check it again. And so I've had to adopt new beliefs and new habits when it Mm -hmm. comes to my work, um, such as, I'm not having my email on my phone. I am basically unavailable. Now, of course, my principal, who's phenomenal, by the way, she can text me anytime. But if she texts me, I know that it's something that's that really truly is urgent. I couldn't even tell you the last time she texted me, (laughs) but um, where I've set those boundaries. So if a parent sends me a message at 11 o'clock at night because they have a question and it's a good time for them, good on you. Like message me anytime you want. You will hear from me the next day. Because yeah. I, I won't even know that it was sent until the next day. So, and this all really started with my beliefs because a lot of teachers say I can't or I won't set those boundaries. Right. Um, I can't do it because there's no way for me to get everything done in those amount of hours. Um, I won't do it because it'll make me look bad. So it really, it starts with those beliefs about what you are capable of. Again, and I swear I'm not making this up. I got another email from a different teacher just the other day who said, I set these time boundaries and I've begun to look for ways to simplify what I'm doing. And she found a way that was specific to her. She goes, it took me seven years to realize that if I just tweaked the way I was doing this one thing, it would save me hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was like, this is just the beginning because the beginning really starts with you just setting a boundary, trying it, and then looking at every, what t- people would typically look at as a quote unquote failure. Like, oh, my goal was to leave at four. I left at four 30 today. That's not a failure. That's a data point. What were you working on? What happened today? That was different than yesterday. Were you scrolling through Instagram a little bit through, you know, uh, through your lunch hour? Um, did you have a specific behavior today that caused you that kind of blew up your planning and prep time? I'm speaking from personal experience there. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it, it really does open your eyes again. It's raising that self-awareness of, of, your habits and your beliefs and how you're spending your time. And this is Russell, this is just the beginning <laughs> right. of really everything. And it's really reflecting your challenges is really about, you know, listing those challenges deciding what is your within your control and what is not, and then raising your solution awareness, becoming more solution aware, because what you focus on, you will feel and what you look for. Your brain is wired. What, what you believe your, your brain is wired to find more of. So if you believe there's no time, you will find no time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I'll take your lesson and we'll put a time boundary on this interview. So uh, as we kind of wrap up here, Amber, um, where can our listeners learn more about your work? If, is there other ways they can work with you? We'll certainly put the information on the book in the notes.
1: Yeah, um, you can find me at com. You can also find me on any social media platform at Burned In Teacher. I spend most of my time on Instagram. Um, I do have a free podcast Facebook community at facebook.com groups slash Burned In Teacher. Um, and you can get a free chapter of the book. If people want to check it out, they can go to burnedinteacher.com slash free chapter just to kind of check it out if you're a little curious.
0: Excellent. So we'll put the link to burnedinteacher.com in the notes. Um, We'll put the link to where you can find Hacking Teacher Burnout from Times 10 publications. So listeners, uh, check that out and please do subscribe to The Authority for more in-depth author interviews or visit bpodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Thanks again, Amber.
1: Thank you so much for having me.